The devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows. And usually I am supposed to be happier about when I start an episode. And this is the start of season three. And season three was going to kick off with Wrestle Kingdom talk because I saw both days and it was going to start off on a great note. But then I'm on Thomas Island last night. And if you guys have not watched the episode, you guys can watch it when it comes out on YouTube. Normally, Thomas Island goes live on Twitch at 6.30 p.m. We happened to do it last night, a Wednesday night at 6.30, because we were covering night one, night two of Wrestle Kingdom, and then very quickly the WWE releases, which was mainly backstage personnel, and then we got into the whole PK incident. This podcast episode of the Square Circle Podcast will be named the TK Incident. So we're going to dedicate this whole entire show to that. And I'm going to explain further for what I said on the show. So on Thomas Island, I was spitting fire. I was spitting facts, however you want to put it. It just bothers me that a man who is in a very high position because he has money thinks that he can talk the way he wants to talk about anyone and it doesn't have to be your gender or anything like that the moment that you don't take the second to realize if this tweet is okay to tweet out and you can easily just say what you want that tells me that you're not a leader that tells me that you're not a boss and you're just buying people's loyalty and love through money And not realizing that everyone is a human just like you. Everyone has experiences. Everyone has feelings. But to dismiss someone else's valid criticisms is wrong. Especially when you want to come back at them and have this clap back and use your AEW wrestlers as a shield to mask the fact that you definitely did feel some way. In this situation, to come back at Big 12 the way that he did, he's definitely in the wrong. He's in the wrong because she didn't start no shit, and he decided to escalate it. And because he has a big platform on Twitter, this is where it gets really, really tricky. This is where it gets really bad because your followers are so blind that they love AEW so much that they would definitely go and attack people based on a narrative that Tony Khan has spun that had nothing to do with Swole's initial comments at all. The fact that he had to go and say that he did not re-sign her because of her wrestling talents. First of all, Protocol 101, if you're running a business, if you want to be a professional, you just don't really say that. You don't bury your talent. You don't throw your talent under the bus. That's like nuclear heat right there. And that also puts you in a bad light because people who wanted to work for your company, me included, feel like that can't happen. Because if you're not going to listen to Big Swole's valid criticisms 
And she never really said anything bad about TK or the company. She just said her frustrations and think that things need to change and things need to be authentic with everything across the board, including the black wrestlers that AEW has, the African-American wrestlers that AEW has. And it's kind of tricky. I get it. You have a company, you have a lot of wrestlers, you keep signing people, but you don't have enough space to feature them all. And you can't put them all in backstage positions because essentially these wrestlers want to fight. These wrestlers want to battle. Quick question. Where the fuck is Brian Cage? He is a perfect example of not being seen on AEW programming in a while. So that says a lot. And now that the dust has somewhat settled because it seems like the AEW faithful just moved on, which is really sad because if this was Vince McMahon putting down talent publicly on a public forum where anybody and everyone, including burner accounts, can bully people and talk shit behind the screen, would have dragged Vince McMahon through the mud to get him to apologize. But because it's AEW and it's Tony Khan, it's okay. It gets a pass. Like, where's that same energy from the speaking out movement where the women were behind the women and the women in general wanted all the assholes out of professional wrestling? Like, where's that same energy? Anyway, now that the dust has settled and you guys are sort of giving Tony Khan a free pass rather than still demanding an apology to Big Swole. He is now signing more wrestlers. He does sign Jake Atlas, and I have nothing against Jake Atlas or anything, but him signing Jake Atlas so quick, when he never did that to any other wrestler before in the past, there was only a few wrestlers where he was like, oh, I need him on my team. Let me sign him the next day. Jake Atlas had one tryout. That was it. He signed him. He said, welcome to the team. And that just looks like a cosmetic front just to fill quotas and just to get you guys to be on his side and really do praise him for being diverse. Diversity means a lot of things, but that doesn't mean you go and try to fill a quota because someone had legit concerns and just not really calling you out, not calling the company out, but talking in general of like the experiences he felt from the very beginning. So, you know, again, I have nothing against Jake Atlas. I really do hope that him and Anthony Bowens uh, change professional wrestling and change the way that we view stories and learn from other people. But it felt cosmetic. It felt like I had to sign him in order to fill this diversity quota. And then just recently, congratulating Sean Dean on picking up a victory over MJF, giving him praise, giving him a platform because he decided to speak out against the criticisms and defend Tony Khan. It's one thing to come to the aid of your boss and your leader if something was done to them and it was in the wrong. But to defend someone that can easily dismiss your hard, selfless work is a problem because everyone in the wrestling business are either selfish assholes or selfless. 
And those that are selfless are very good people and you want them in your circle. You know you can rely on them. You know that they're loyal. Hell, if you listen to Big Swole's full entire podcast, he starts off with the happy memories. He starts off with telling you what kind of person Tony Khan is and he loves throwing money around. He loves renting out places for everyone to enjoy themselves and you have a good time. He'll buy you whatever you want. That's basically like buying your loyalty, but I'll get into that a little bit later. And then she goes into her experiences and everything that she did with them was selfless. He was there. She was their number one. And she did it without question until her passion started to die because she saw no progress. Right. So. When that happens, the passionate person you once was slowly dies and good people just end up getting fucked over now i'm going to tackle certain things that i was thinking about because i feel like i'm just rambling and i'm not really making really good points here but uh just so you know you're going to get this podcast sort of unedited in a way so you're going to hear my ums and my actual thoughts because i think that's a lot more authentic to bring across this important message Let's talk about Swole's selflessness. While Swole was in AEW, she also helped out behind the scenes with AEW heels, which, by the way, I don't even think they needed it. But if the boys can have being the elite, why can the girls have AEW heels? So she helps out with AEW heels behind the scenes. He's been on a couple of Zoom calls, maybe like a little bit more. And, you know, it probably felt nice to the women fans, female fans. Sounds weird saying women fans, but you get it. You know, it brought a smile to their faces, I guess. I'm not part of AEW Heels because I think that it's a scam, but that's just me. Um, So, you know, Big Swole did whatever she was asked of. And... That didn't get highlighted, you know. They probably told her thank you in the back. But to have this kind of backlash from your boss that gave you whatever you wanted. And he might have felt like he was sort of selfish to say these comments. And then that's why he backlashed or he backlashed because he was burnt out. We're never going to know because he's never going to apologize. But just remember, he did that out of the goodness of her heart. And then also... The ladies of AEW didn't come to Big Swole's aid. This is like probably the biggest topic or idea to not really forget. Because it's really sad when your coworker, no matter if they are there or not, right, gets this kind of backlash. And there is no word from any of the ladies of AEW when they nicknamed Swole, Mama Swole. And she also said that in her podcast, that once they gave her the position of making sure that the women were taken care of, if they had any frustrations, if they had any concerns, you bring it to Swole, Swole will bring it to upper management. Therefore, she got Mama Swole. So the fact that the ladies wanted some type of progression and wanted some type of validation that they can do it too, that they are as equal as the men. There was no word from them when TK said his tweet 
And, you know, I totally get it that you're getting paid. Who, who doesn't want to get paid? Especially from like AEW, right? Like, you know, I'm still looking for a sugar daddy, but I'm not going to allow that money to buy my silence when this could have all been avoided by a simple apology or not even saying anything. He could have just kept it under the rug and like let it blow over. And then in the new year, he'd be like, hey, guys, welcome to AEW in 2022. We're going to TBS. We're going to crown the first ever, you know, TBS women's champion. And congratulations to Jake Cargill for being the first ever TBS women's champion. But like, you know, that all could have been avoided. Maybe he was drunk. Maybe this is an angle. I really hope this doesn't turn into a story because then that's really stupid if it turns into a story. I just don't like it when good people get fucked over because they have valid criticisms and it's not even like something to fight about. It's just something to change because originally in 2019, the whole mantra of AEW was change the world. And I really believe that the first year they changed the world. They really did provide a, a platform for changing the world, a platform for the alternative because people were getting upset at WWE. Well, guess what, Tony Khan? Because you tweeted that out and used your wrestlers as a fucking shield, you made Vince McMahon look like a saint. And that says a lot. That really does. That just proves that everything that the big promoters that once had companies like Eric Bischoff with WCW were right. Everyone else was right. You know, for the longest, you say that you are a huge wrestling fan. And we get that. You are. You want to make these dream matches. You're finally living out your dream but you don't know the proper etiquette backstage. You don't know the proper etiquette for what you can probably say online. This is why you need a PR team. This is why you need teams to do damage control. You need teams to make sure that if you're going to tweet something, you either tweet something that's positive, something that you are working on a goal towards, you know, something else other than trying to bury your talent and trying to send your followers after that person to do bullying or whatever because it's not fair to them it really isn't because fans cannot distinguish between what's real what's fake what's kayfabe what's not kayfabe aew fans think that they are entitled to everyone's personal life and they're not but they forget that and they forget that because aew doesn't know how to control themselves when they post things online case in point sammy and tay but we are not going to go there. I know I'm probably going to get blocked by them. Anyway. Tony Khan is living out the fantasy that we all want. The only problem is, is that an ordinary person like myself and you who are listening don't have that money. We don't have that rich daddy money. I wish I did, but I really don't. But even if I did, I wouldn't be throwing my selfless workers under the bus. And so... Because Tony Khan has all this money to make this happen, if wrestling was truly his passion and he really wanted to get into it, he would have started like everyone else. You start from the bottom up. You start paying your dues. 
you start asking around and looking at your local promotions. And I know there's a lot of promotions in Florida. So he could have went to the local promotions, talked to the promoter and be like, hey, I'm Tony Khan. I've always been interested in wrestling. I want to have a start. I want to get my foot in the door. How do I do it? All you got to do is just network. But what has he been doing for the last years? Uh, Because if you guys didn't know, this year he's turning 40. So I have a lot of questions for the in-between time. Because with someone like me, I put my mind to wanting to be in wrestling since I was seven. And I managed to make it to WWE when I was 28. And then I still managed to be within wrestling during that time anyway. And even now. And so I question... You know, if Tony Khan really loved professional wrestling like he says he did, how come he didn't start trying to network and get his foot in the door in the local promotions in Florida? But this is what happens when you have a rich dad who buys the Jaguars and gives you a position as an analyst to look at numbers and then not have real world experiences like the rest of us. And that might be really harsh and I might get some backlash from that, but you really have to think about the bigger picture and start asking really hard questions. Because if you're a journalist and you're wondering about all these things and you're wondering where this animosity is coming from, you really have to ask yourself, what is Tony Khan's endgame? What do you think he gained from throwing wrestlers as a shield in front of him while burying someone who doesn't even go there anymore while promoting his show. Like those are three red flags. You guys understand that, right? It's three red flags. I have a lot of questions and I really like to ask questions when red flags are raised because that's how you create an open dialogue. That's how you create communication to understand why are you so angry at someone's legit comments because if anyone wants to go into my backlog of the square circle podcast i rant about the women's division i say the women need to train more i say the women need to train together and it doesn't seem like anything is ever done because you can tell that the women are in their own cliques because if it was a family they'll be as smooth as stardom yes if the women were a family and the women want to look out for each other and train together and make sure that when they have an upcoming match, they look smooth. They look like they know what they're doing. They will be training together. This is why I get excited when I watch Stardom matches. And if you guys didn't know, Stardom was on Wrestle Kingdom. So there you go. One little instance of me talking about Wrestle Kingdom. Anyway. So, yeah, I have all these questions for Tony Khan because... I am not sure if he ever explained he ever took a bump in his life. Now, I'll tell you this. I have not listened to any of the AEW podcasts, the unrestricted AEW podcasts. I used to because they were cool and everything. But again, that's a whole nother podcast episode of why I don't listen to it. But Tony Khan has appeared on his own show, repping his own brand more than anybody else. Vince doesn't even do that. And I really think that does a disservice. It's because it's like fan fiction. Everybody knows fan fiction. Fan fiction most of the time sucks. I used to write fan fiction. I used to be one of those girls. And yes, I would insert myself into those stories. And this is what it feels like. 
Tony Khan inserting himself into this fantasy land of fan fiction where it's like you need to be a boss you need to step back and I know you want to be involved in all the processes I get it but half the time you have to be that boss make the hard decisions make sure that your teams are doing everything that they are instructed to do in their descriptions and not anything more which you know let me segue into everybody wearing different hats I don't know if you know this, but there's a certain thing called labor laws, right? So here in New York, because I'm from New York, and if you're listening from New York, thank you so much. In New York, we have labor laws. And if you are overworked, if you are discriminated against or anything like that, you can call up the labor department and be like, hey, I don't like my manager. I don't like what they're having me do. That's not in my job description. I'm getting overworked. When I ask for legit days off and if I present them with something, they're not giving it to me. Whatever situation you're going through, the labor laws here in New York are set to protect you. Everyone's situation is different. I'm not trying to get into real situations. I'm just letting you know what the picture is, right? So here in New York, no matter if you're part of a union or not, you still get the right to call them up, be like, hey, I need some help. I don't like how they're doing it. They'll do an investigation and then they'll give you the verdict. We're going to say verdict um, after whatever they decide. So I don't know if it's like that in Florida because AEW is based in Florida and every single person is overworked. You even hear it from Big Souls podcast that Kenny Omega was overworked in the beginning, having him deal with the women's division plus wrestling plus doing the game. And you don't work a human like that. You don't overwork them like that. Like, why would you want to do that? You hire people to do that hard work for you while you focus on your craft. And then the person who's focusing on their craft should hire a smaller team underneath them to make sure that any miscellaneous task that the person can get to, your smaller team does it. That's how you divide the workload. So that way you don't get burnt out and you don't lash out on people and you you know you're able to breathe like why is Aubrey doing AW heels plus video games plus refereeing plus podcasting why why couldn't you get a host for the podcast that has years of experience podcasting you guys could have leveraged that person who knows about podcasting to get better deals that doesn't have to always be about state farm you guys can get better sponsors you know someone who knows the network field of podcasting i remember once it was said that leva bates was the assistant to brandy Rhodes, and again leva bates is a wrestler she was wrestling on the indies way before AEW was like hey you want to come work with us and originally, Leva Bates was blue pants in NXT for a while. So the fact that he decided to take a backstage role may not be as bad to her as it is for someone like me looking on the surface level. But it just really puzzles me that certain wrestlers are not even past their prime and they are taking backstage positions at AEW to fill teams, invisible teams that Tony Khan has yet to create himself. 
is he afraid of creating schemes because he's an LLC? Well, actually, no, I shouldn't be asking that because if you are an LLC company, you have limited liability. So if he does create schemes and anything happens, he's not technically liable for whatever happens. He could definitely say, oh, it didn't happen on his watch. When you are an LLC company, you can get away with almost anything. Almost. I don't know how it is in Florida, but let's go back to those labor laws. I don't know how Florida treats labor laws. I guess we can look at Disney with them hiring so many people and them probably overworking their employees who dress up as Disney characters and work long hours. But again, I don't know what it's like living in Florida with labor laws, but you really do have to question why are people being overworked? Is it allowed to be overworked in the state of Florida, regardless if they're an independent contractor? Because at this point, you sign an AEW contract, you have specific duties and descriptions that are needed to fulfill your obligation as a contracted wrestler to the company. And if you did not sign up for extra pay for fulfilling other jobs that you don't need to do, don't do it as a favor you know, at this point, you should do it for money because it's like you're doing more time and energy than training or anything else that needs to happen for you to be successful. And this might come across as not being a team player, but when you sign a specific contract for specific duties and it does not say, oh, I need you to do this, this and this, then you really have to put your foot down and be like, I signed a contract to be a wrestler. I signed a contract to wrestle on Dark Dark Evolution Dynamite Rampage, and that's what I've been doing. It does not say in my contract that I have to fulfill other obligations when asked, whenever asked. So again, why are AEW wrestlers being overworked? Why are they having multiple hats, even including other backstage personnel? I remember looking on LinkedIn. And AEW is on LinkedIn, if you guys want to know. And they had a job listing up. And it was for social media coordinator because I guess something happened to Jeff. I don't know. They always had the running joke on Twitter about Jeff, you're tweeting this wrong. Jeff, you blah, 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 whatever the case may be. And I guess lately we haven't really been seeing interactions of, hey, Jeff, you did this wrong. Anyway. There was like a social media coordinator and like maybe a video graphics person up there too. Um, but they required you to have a degree in accounting and finance in order to do jobs that a social media person does not really need and a video editor or a video graphic designer does not need. Why do they need a account and finance degree for something that does not call for it? And that's because everyone in AEW does something other than their job. Now, I want to know they're getting paid for it. Probably not. I don't know if they're going to get bonuses, but that's not here or there. The idea is that you don't take on more because your boss doesn't want to hire the proper teams and you think that your company doesn't need it. Yes, Every single company that's made needs a team. If not, they're not going to be successful. AEW is riding the wave of the honeymoon phase of the fans. Basically, it's off your back, guys, because you're 
buying the merchandise. You're tuning in every single Wednesday. Even you're tuning in on the YouTube channel and you're making it happen, which is great. It's really, really great. So good job with that. But again, if AEW is not establishing any type of teams to take the workload off of the wrestlers, so that way we can stop having so many accidents, so many mistakes, but yet then pass it along as it's okay because it's AEW. There's something wrong there. And I get it. AEW fans and fans around the world want to live vicariously through Tony Khan because Tony Khan is the one who made it for every single nerd out there that loved professional wrestling but got bullied in the process, became a black sheep of everyone until wrestling became cool again. He is their shining light and example of being successful and doing something that they've always wanted to do but they have to live vicariously through Tony Khan. And I think that's where the idolization needs to stop only because it's very toxic. We don't need that toxicity in the community. We already have enough of that. And to just purposefully dismiss hardworking men and women, hardworking people, hardworking everybody across the board, because you felt some type of way about legit comment needs to be really addressed. And just to apologize because Tony Khan has prided himself on being a very classy guy. He goes after trolls. He gets praised. I wonder, did he think that Big Swole was a troll when she said her comments? Is that why he responded that way? And I get it. AEW is diverse. AEW has one of the biggest rosters that is diverse. But when you look below the surface level, what are the black and Spanish wrestlers really doing? They are on dark and dark revelation. While we have WWE X superstars on Dynamite and Rampage. Sure, we can make the case that they're featuring women and hardcore matches on Rampage, but let's be realistic. Rampage is on at the wrong time. The day is very debatable, but at 10 p.m., who's really going to want to stay up to do that when they want to spend time with their family? Sure, you know, you could be dedicated to watch AEW, but why did they have to give them at 10 p.m.? Is that like a throwaway show? No. If you're going to treat dynamite as your flagship show and have rampage have this amazing video graphic of like the lightning you know Cody Rose dressing up as Homelander and Hikaru Shida looking like a fucking badass and Jade looking like a badass looking like Storm and like this really awesome feeling to it and then you know TNT or TBS the network gives it a 10 p.m uh time slot how does that make sense? Seriously. For marketing purposes, how does that make sense? How are you going to market to families to allow their kids to stay up at 10 p.m. to watch Rampage on days where, you know, the next day they might have like a family outing and it's like, son, daughter, I need you to get, you know, some sleep. Like, that's probably not the best example, but you guys get the idea. Why would the network allow them to put it at 10 p.m.? Anyway, these are just certain things that I think about. 
And it's kind of frustrating when somebody decides to dismiss valid criticisms. And it's sort of really bad that Tony Khan probably does see it, but if he's overworked as well, then he really needs teams because diversity does not mean that you fill a quota. Diversity does not mean that you give people of color, everyone else in the community who's not white, a title belt just to fill a quota or a mantra or something to please people. If they have the talent, that's great. But most of that talent is not being nurtured. It's not being pushed. And sometimes wrestlers don't know how to write their own stories. Wrestlers don't know what kind of stories they can tell because sometimes storytelling is very difficult. And this is where I'm going to put my writing degree to use. So buckle up, guys. It's story time. This is like part one of story time because I might want to get into my own experiences about being dismissed in wrestling. Anyway. So I'm currently writing a novel. It is a wrestling novel. Before the wrestling novel, I had ideas for fantasy novels, sci-fi novels, but I never completed them. But I made sure that I got like maybe a couple chapters done. But what always stuck with me is. Is wrestling and the number one rule that they teach you in writing is to write what you know. And you probably heard that all your life growing up in middle school, high school, you know, your school career. They tell you to write what you know, because it's easier. You are the professor and you are the master of that subject matter. You know that subject matter better than anyone else. And you and someone else may have like a similarity in whatever the subject is, but you have certain experiences that the other person may not share. So, for example, me living in New York City, I have a different experience from anything that happens versus my friends or my family. You know, I'm not with them 24-7, so we're not going to have the same experiences if we're going out on the town and we get into a situation. I may be staying at home doing this podcast episode for you guys while my friends or family are outside celebrating doing something and they get in a situation and then they call me to talk about their experience. So because you think that experiences might be all the same for everybody, it's not true. And this comes into writing. So sometimes in writing, it's best to write what you know, because you know best on how to articulate it and how to present the bigger picture to people so they can understand a different perspective, right? Because we're all here to learn about different perspectives, learn about different cultures, learn about everything under the sun. So how does this relate to writing? It relates to it because it's a powerful tool to let people know what you are a master at. So I know about professional wrestling. You guys know this 100%. So sometimes they also tell you that don't write cliche things. When we say cliche things, it's the stereotypes that we've all deemed as like horrible tropes. We've seen it on TV. We've seen it in other media outlets. We see it in professional wrestling, you know, just because someone comes from a poor background or a 
fighting background or just a really bad experience growing up, they have to play that character. Case in point, everything that WWE has been doing for the past 20 years. You guys could get a really good picture of that. Sometimes it's okay to work on cliches because you could always add a twist into a cliche. So for example, right, this just popped into my head. So for anyone that's been following NXT, we have a female wrestler. I think they named her Tiffany. And she has the daddy girl gimmick where like her daddy buys her anything. He has a lot of money and, you know, she can do whatever she wants. Right. And oh, it's Tiffany Stratton, something like that. Anyway, her character is very simple. Her character is very, you know, daddy's girl. You know what would be an interesting twist is that instead of her using her daddy's money to buy a lot of name brand things, buy a Ferrari, buy, you know, very expensive things, she turns people's life around by giving them money to succeed and believe in them. Her daddy doesn't know this. Her daddy thinks that he's using his money to buy everything that makes her happy, but he's essentially giving her daddy's money away to people who have been struggling for years, who has always gotten a leg up, but then some shit happens and they come crashing back down. And you might think of it as maybe, you know, it could be a handout, but it's not really a handout. He's just really defying her dad and trying to go against the grain of, I'm not going to be daddy's little girl and I'm going to help people and actually help people succeed and give them what she has so easily. You know, people can work their ass off for years and still feel like they haven't gotten to that point. And this will just be a little bit of a help. You know, if that makes sense. If you can see that as the bigger picture of doing something different, you're taking a cliche like being daddy's little girl who gets whatever she wants, can have all his money. And then on the flip side, turn it around to be like, all right, my daddy doesn't know that I'm giving away his money to people who need it to support the community, to support the people's dreams. Like that'd be a little bit different, you know, because that's saying to people who are watching that while handouts are never to be really expected, you really got to work for it, but you never know when opportunities may come your way. You never know when, you know, you might meet somebody who is just generous and it teaches people to be generous, to be helpful, to be kind, to pick people up, to support people. Yes, of course, there's money given involved and stuff, but this world was founded on money means something. If we all lived a Star Trek life and we didn't put a value to money, we wouldn't be having problems that we have. Simple, we wouldn't be having it. But it's the idea of that because everything costs money and sometimes people are down in their luck. Why not fucking help them? Why not create a narrative you try to change people's perspectives on what it means to help, even though in this world, we all get fucked over. Another easy trope would be the whole monster wrestler gimmick where they come in, they're larger than life, and all they do is do very big man moves, very monster-like moves. And sometimes it could be refreshing because it depends on who they go against. If they're just going against smaller guys, squashing them, that's very stupid. And AEW does that all the time on Dark. 
Wardlow is a prime example of this and he's lost in purgatory. He does this to little guys showing off his strength and the smaller guys don't really get like a fight in. And then all of a sudden he does a very big man move and that's it. One, two, three. Wardlow wins. He goes home. He gets the payday. Like, what does that really do for his character? It really doesn't. His character development is greater when he's interacting with MJF, the pinnacle, you know, actually putting to use that size of his, those emotion looks that he gives when he's interacting with people. He has potential. He has the character. He has everything. It's just that they're giving him really small guys and they're taking the WWE approach of having squash matches. No matter what you say, guys, they are squash matches. And now we come to the trickiest part of cliche writing in professional wrestling. And this relates to black wrestlers, Latino wrestlers, Latina wrestlers. And this is definitely going to be a very touchy subject, but just hear me out. It's really difficult to try to get authenticity across because that's not what wrestling promoters or people in media really want to see. There's always been this storytelling narrative that you have to act the stereotype. You have to live the stereotype and 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 that's what Big Swell was trying to get across that it's not really authentic for any of these wrestlers to play this character now if you want to play the stereotype that's totally fine that is your choice that's what you want to do great but there are other people that want to break that box and sometimes they don't know how to do it because they have to do what the person tells them to do And this is why sometimes maybe AEW is a little bit scared to get writers, but hear me out. Big Swole's character was my favorite refreshing character, even though I think that's just her personality. That's not her playing the character, but because she's so authentic with it and she gives you her unapologetic self, that's why I gravitated towards Swole when she was on AEW and she was doing what she was doing. And I loved her interaction between her and Britt. And I really think that for the start of AEW, that was a really good feud. What I don't like represented in AEW is when somebody tries too hard to be the ethnicity and race that they are to try to get people on their side as like a bandwagon. Like, for example, Brandy is a perfect example of this. And I'm probably going to get heat for saying any of this stuff anyway, which is okay. Because if you're not being your unapologetic self, then how are you living life? You have to say things that people may not agree with, but put it in a perspective where they might respect you. So my main problem with Brandy is that when she comes out, he thinks that she has to act black in order to get the community behind her in order to get fans behind her. And it definitely shows how people interact with her promos and say that they're fire and they're good. Sure. People experience that type of interaction wherever they live in their environment, because essentially we are unfortunately a product of our environment and 
how we grow up and how we process media and videos and stuff like that where like it warps our brain and then you're just like okay i know how that is i know how to experience that so you know how to process it so back to brandy brandy lives a very luxurious life where she wears the nice dresses very nice heels she gets prettied up and then she transitions to wanting to fight in the ring and this is where it gets a little confusing you want to be liked by people, but you try too hard and you basically play off the stereotypes that the community wants to get away from because no one really likes that anymore. It may come across to Brandy as being a strong black woman in a very male dominated sport, but it comes off as childish because you're not reading the room. And this was also another thing that even though Swole didn't really say it like that to read the room, you could definitely tell by her comments is read the room. If you are not used to doing something, you know that your character wouldn't do, just don't do it. Just a reminder that you shouldn't put yourself in situations where you're going to get a backlash, especially when there's people out there who had way worse experiences then you had and then you want to go on TV and try to portray it or bring light to it or have this constant narrative of that you want to be a strong woman in a male-dominated sport. We all want to be strong women in male-dominated anything, but that doesn't mean that we have to continue to show it and talk about it. What we can do is have our actions speak louder than the words. We can have very smart promos where we can guide your character to make those choices, to have people think just beyond the surface that, you know, you'll be able to survive in a male dominant world too. Sometimes it gets a little overwhelming and we need the support there. But if all you're going to do is just drag stereotypes out of the bag of hats, bag of tricks, just to try to get over because you have yet to figure out where you fit in the puzzle of professional wrestling or where you fit in the puzzle of the roster. That's a problem. And this goes back to sometimes wrestlers don't know how to write stories. And this is why it's needed for a team of writers. Now, you don't have to do it like WWE. You don't have to. But here's what I've always been saying, okay? And I know this podcast is super long, but just bear with me. I have always been saying that I will never have a wrestler read a script I wrote. If I came up with a script idea, I would be like, hey, you know, read it, look it over. Let me know what you think. We can definitely start on this character, on this story, on this feud. But I'm never going to say, hey, wrestler, go read this script, memorize it word for word, because essentially professional wrestling is a big ass theater production. That means that you get the chance to improvise. And if you can improvise, uh, you might sink. You might not be able to swim. We're not WWE here. Like my thought process is never going to be WWE-esque where it's like, I need you to memorize these lines. Because if I wanted you to remember these lines word for word, I would definitely have a budget. I would definitely have a film crew. And we're definitely going to go film a movie. 
But are we filming movies in professional wrestling? Unless they're cinematic universes, then maybe. But if we're not doing cinematic universe style, then you do not need to memorize these lines. What you do need to memorize is how your character will say it, how your character will bring to life maybe a main idea from what I've written from the script, right? Because it's my job to make sure that I get your character over. It's your job to do the wrestling and make sure that the story goes as planned. But if I can't try to get your character over on paper for you to realize, oh, this is a good idea. Let me go with it. And then you make a lot more money than I do. Then I didn't do my job well if I didn't get your character across. Now, if I'm able to get your character across because you're charismatic, you believe in what I'm writing, you believe in the direction I'm trying to guide you in, then we both win. We both eat at the same table. But because I didn't get you over, that's my fault. And as a writer, you should know how to get someone over because you went to school for it. You like legit went to school for it. You wanted to do it since you were little. And I'm talking about me. I wanted to do this since I was little. And I still want to be a writer for professional wrestling. The only difference is that I got my foot in the door for the WWE Network logging team and not really the writer department. And because I do not have any show running skills or be any production assistant, I really can't get a writer assistant job at WWE because I don't have that. But I do have a degree in writing and a degree in English and a, and a publishing certificate, but that doesn't matter. And then I wrote a script about Tanahashi going to WWE. That doesn't matter either. The point is, is that if you as a wrestler don't know how to portray your character, write your character, make sure that stories are going as they should, then you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be ecstatic to come into work. You're just going to be like, oh, am I wrestling on dark again? All right, cool. I'm wrestling on dark again. Am I wrestling on elevation? All right, cool. I'm wrestling on elevation. And your passion is going to die because I'm going to tell you right now, the same people that watch Dynamite are not the same people that are watching Dark and Dark Revelation on YouTube. Nobody realistically is on YouTube 24-7. And some people might prove me wrong, but that's like, what, 5% of everybody who wants to have lives and wants to make sure that their family is well taken care of? You know, not everyone is going to remember to watch an episode of Dark or Dark Revelation on YouTube. So, again, you're going to end up being burnt out, frustrated, and you're going to end up probably saying your experiences so much like Swole did. I don't know if you're going to get dismissed, but maybe you might. So to summarize, it's okay to do cliches in professional wrestling just make sure you have a twist in your plot make sure you are devious when you are going to switch up the cliche sometimes it's okay if you're starting now you want to do cliches that's totally fine until you feel confident to do a very grand story but if you can't do a story you could always hit me up at maria underscore shadows I can definitely help you with it. I've tried helping other wrestlers and I've given ideas and I'm just that selfless to be in this business. Now, I guess we could talk about my experiences towards the end. So for those of you that don't know, 
before getting the job at WWE, I also helped out on the indies. And I mentioned this on Thomas Island that I would drop anything I was doing at a moment's notice to go help out my wrestling buddies and to do whatever was asked of me. If someone needed to film their promo, I would drop everything I did, hop on transportation and go meet them. And we will go find a place and we'll do promos and they'll take it from there. But I was camera girl. I'm always camera girl. That's totally okay. If they needed me for ring crew, I would go along with the guys. I will always say, hey, are you going to a show? You know, go along, do ring crew. I did ring crew for the last Evolve show over here in Queens before WWE bought them out. I did ring crew for them. I helped them out. And I even was a ticket usher and I showed people to their seats and I made sure that everybody was taken care of. I helped out the wrestlers just out of the goodness of my heart. That was the time that I met Chris Hero and uh, shook his hand and was really, really great. And, you know, got some thanks and praise from other people that were there. And also that was the time when we got a surprise from the Street Profits and I got to see them in action and I... Also got to meet Bianca Belair. I just gave her a nice head nod. Um, I didn't really bother her. I was just like, oh, cool. She's here. Awesome. I'll give her a head nod. He was in the back so that way no one really bothered her. So, you know, I let her be. But it was really cool just to be there and help out and take directions very well. And again, whatever was needed of me, I was there. If someone needed um, water or anything like that, like, I would be there to be like, hey, here's a bottle of water. Like, I helped out so many wrestlers and the promotions that we went to selflessly. Like, I would always put over Titan Championship Wrestling over in Jersey because those guys were cool. And um, because I have my podcast, I felt like royalty because they put the Square Circle podcast can sit here in the front row. And I still have pictures from that one event. I went up to people to talk to them and meet them. And I basically wrote a article about my time at Titan Championship Wrestling. And then I kept going and just kept helping out and recording the boys matches, letting them know like, hey, let me send it to you via WhatsApp so that way you can have it right there. And then because what happens on the indies is that wrestlers don't get their footage right away. So if I'm there and I'm camera girl, you're going to get your footage right away because I'm using my cell phone. I'm using my technology, whatever the case may be, in order to record your matches. So that way you have it. You can show another promoter. You can get booked maybe like in a week and you don't have to rely on old footage. So, you know, I help out no matter what. There's other times where I started doing my vlog to showcase other promotions, uh, interview wrestlers about the event, their upcoming match, and ask them a really random question. And out of everyone that I have on my four-episode vlog, would have to be PJ Savage was really fun to interview. And we are like the cutest tag team out there. So I'm saying that. His tag team partners, the faceless ones, they're cool because they decided to hijack my vlog, which, by the way, don't ever hijack my vlog, but I let them pass. 
then also interviewing Sambo Show that was on AEW Dark. I love those guys. And also getting the chance to talk with Lance Anoa'i uh, at a show in Philly that we went to. So great memories, great time. So like I said, I would drop everything at a moment's notice to help out on the indies. And even going to WWE out of my circle of friends, meaning the wrestlers, I was the only one that made it, that has an accolade on my resume and in my life that I made it to WWE. And yet there's one specific promotion in Jersey that I was selfless for. I helped out with Ring Crew. You can see it on my vlog about me putting the guys over and everything like that. But because they feel like I am not a wrestler, because they feel like I don't take bumps and I don't pay my dues and I'm just a fan getting access, I still get a dismissal from all of my accolades, from anything that I did, anything that I did in the business on the other side. There's a reason why I feel so strongly talking about this is because I've experienced that same disrespect and that same sentiment. It might not have been the words, but I've been there where people do not take my accolades seriously or they don't care. And they will tell you straight up, oh, I don't care what you ever did because you're a fan. You're not a wrestler. Well, guess what? I did some early in-ring training while helping out on the indies because that was my first passion to be a wrestler, but that never happened. So instead, I went to school for writing because I always know that it's going to be a job in wrestling about writing. So I tried for a little bit, didn't really continue on with it, but I enjoyed the hell out of it. And then right after WWE let me go, I went right back into training and I didn't really continue it because I realized then that wrestling is probably not going to be for me. But that doesn't mean that I didn't cry with the rest of everybody in the schools that I went to. And that doesn't mean that I don't have that same passion. I don't mind if I start the training back up again, but I know for a fact that that's not for me. I rather support you, the wrestler, all the way through your career and I'll just be your cheerleader in the background. But I do know how it feels to take a bump. And I've managed to like hit my head in the process while learning how to take bumps. And I love running the ropes. That's like my favorite thing. So if I ever get a house with a nice large backyard, I'm definitely getting a wrestling ring. And as cardio, I'm running those ropes. That's what I really enjoy. Taking a bump? Eh, okay. You know, whatever it is. It is what it is. But I know for a fact that wrestling is not for me, but I would gladly support you. But that doesn't mean that all of my accomplishments should be dismissed by the asshole men that are still in professional wrestling. And so I just don't like it when good people get shitted on after they are so selfless of everything. So, yeah, I've had my dues. I pay them in a way. I've helped out people and I still continue to help them out. And I wouldn't change it for the world. And now here's my question to all of the asshole guys out there. Do you consider the female broadcasters fans because they're not wrestlers 
and they should stay in their lane when they have an opinion because that's very sexist if you think about it. If you think that females are not an integral part in professional wrestling, think again because we do jobs that help put you over when we're on broadcasting teams, when we're holding a camera, when we're messaging you guys to be like, hey, that was a great match. Or, hey, did you really get hurt? I hope you're okay. We, by nature, are mothers and caretakers and lovers and fighters. And we are your yin to your yang. But to really dismiss somebody because they're not a wrestler and you think that you are superior to them, that's equally wrong. And I've experienced that personally. And you know what I do? I keep pushing and I make sure that all of my wrestling buddies that know me for me get the praise that they deserve. And I am very proud of each and every single wrestler that I've met along the way. And I am happy that I am able to help you somewhere in your journey because I love this business just as much as anybody else. This is my first love. And again, if wrestling never asked me to marry it, I will probably do it in a heartbeat because there's something special about creating something magical that people can get lost in and just live vicariously through us. But also know the importance of it's kayfabe, guys. Like, you know, don't get too obsessed or idolized with us, but just enjoy the storytelling and let us take you on the most longest novella storytelling ever, that long-term storytelling that you guys love. This is what it is. Wrestling is a very open dialogue where you're with us for the long haul. It started back in the 70s. We're still here and we're going to continue to be here and I'm going to continue to be here to help anybody and everyone. And let me just wrap this up. Because I think I've hit a lot of major points. This is going to be a lot to dissect. I may end up getting burner accounts or not. I may end up getting hate messages or not or praise messages. But if you made it this far, thank you for listening so much. And now I'm going to circle back to the beginning of this podcast episode where I said, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. We know WWE like the back of our hands. Surface level, of course. But we don't know AEW or Tony Khan's intention. So sometimes it's okay to hang out with the devil you don't know. But the moment that the devil you don't know strikes unpredictably, you got to put your guard up and you got to look at it from afar. But with WWE, you already know what's going to happen. Like we've been burned so many times that we know, but sometimes you need to look at the person you don't know from afar to make sure that your peace and your sanity is not fucked with and to know who do you really need to trust? Who do you really want to work for? Do you want to work for somebody that can easily win your love and loyalty with money thrown at you? Or do you want to work for somebody that you already know what the deal is. There's a structure there. If you fuck up, you know that's on you. If they fuck up, it, they know it's on them. Hopefully they do. Or if you guys both fuck up, 
just say sorry and hug it out. But for the person that wants to buy your love and loyalty, the moment you become frustrated is the moment you get kicked out of the circle because, again, it's the cool person's club and not the family club. You know, if that makes sense. And just to end it on this note. I would like to say that if AEW and Tony Khan listens to this full entire podcast and revokes any of my media credentials, then I am okay with it. Because if I'm not allowed to question the way that I question because so many red flags have popped up during this whole entire time and there's yet to be an apology so he can start the process of gaining everybody's trust back and being the bigger man, then, you know, that's something I really can't deal with. Because like I said, it shows me that anybody in AEW is expendable. So even if I did want to work for AEW, I would have to be on the chopping block 24 seven and walk around with eggshells because if I'm frustrated and I voice my concerns he might lash out when he doesn't need to lash out and when he could just simply have an open discussion about things that either need to change or the process of actually getting teams and the process of actually getting a home base for AEW because AEW doesn't have a home base. The Jaguar Stadium does not count. So there's a lot of things that he needs to do as a corporation to change AEW for me to fall back in love with it. Because right now I have no love for AEW. I am watching it from afar. I am watching whatever Twitter tells me to. And I'm way more happier watching and supporting New Japan Pro Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling Strong, and MOW. Impact is in there too, but I don't have access to Impact. Huh, puns. But on a serious note, if my AEW media access is revoked, that's okay. Because sometimes you have to save your own peace. Sometimes you have to ask the tough questions and people don't have an answer for it. And that's totally fine. I know that I am okay in the community to accept something getting revoked as maybe a punishment. Because if I can't tell you my thoughts exactly and be unapologetic about it and bring up all these points that I think about and to have a discussion, then why do I podcast? Why do I do this? Why do you podcast? Because sometimes audio is the best way to get your point across if you can't do it in writing. Sometimes conversations help you understand someone else's perspective. And, you know, I don't know where I'm going with this. I just wanted to put it out there that I'm okay with that. I'm okay with my access being revoked because the points that I bring up may not go over well because we've seen it for the past three years that AEW and AEW fans cannot take criticism and the AEW fans have definitely given me the cold shoulder so it's okay you guys can live in your fantasy world I'll focus on supporting what I want to support but I just wanted to make this podcast because it's very troubling it's very bothering and 
you know, there are things that need to really be said. And if we are not questioning the red flags that our peers happen to do, then are you even their friend? Are you even their supporter? Because sometimes things are very questionable. And if you're not asking the right questions, how are we ever going to progress and understand mistakes and understand things that are wrong? Everyone on the internet always says the phrase, do better. But that's a really horrible phrase. Just make sure that you put your best foot forward, you triple think before you tweet, and you make sure that you at least cover your bases so that way if anything like this happens, you don't need to flip out, make things a little bit worse, and then try to move on as if it's not a big deal. And I know that Swell was not losing sleep over this, but it just makes you kind of question what kind of situation did AEW get themselves into? It questions if Tony Khan is even fit to run a company. I wish AEW and everyone there nothing but success, but I'm going to be watching from afar. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, let me know. I thank you for listening all the way through. This is an hour long episode because a lot of things needed to be said. A lot of things needed to be questioned. And then I want to follow up with my experience and why it's so frustrating to even see a boss that I wanted to work for one day. Just tweet that. And it made me realize that everyone is expendable. It made me realize that, you know, maybe he doesn't listen to the women as much as we think that he does or might try. Because if you're able to do a three-part red flag and no one is questioning it, then there's something wrong. Don't let your silence dictate you being afraid of something because if no one is questioning it, we're not going to get down to an answer or try to understand why he wanted to tweet that and what exactly really pissed them off. Like I could keep going on and on about this because there's just so many layers to it. And I just don't get it. How do you bury somebody that was so selfless? without a second thought who all they wanted was to see progress tiny little progress and so this is a wake-up call to Tony Khan it's a wake-up call to the AEW bands who are blindsided and would just follow AEW into the sunset if they really want to be the alternative they really have to start now and actually speak louder than words and the first thing is, is to apologize because no female, no person should be feeling like their accomplishments and their selflessness are for anyone's dismissal. Because if we're not going to dismiss you, don't dismiss us. 
Thank you for listening to the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and I'll see you guys on the next one.